0: We've never met before. I would love to meet you, um, but I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Outpost Community Church, and uh, we're in a series called uh, "City on a Hill." And so, uh, before we get going, let me pray for us to have some time. I always want to remind us as a church that here's the thing: we're coming together. We believe the Word of God is living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It is something that moves in our hearts and changes us. But the reality is, uh, it is foolishness to those who don't believe, and it's also foolishness to those. Who are blind to it or deaf to it. And so the reality is, guys, that's me at times, that's you at times. And so I want to pray for us that we be a people who God would help us to be able to see what he has, because what we're talking about this morning is so incredibly important. It will change yours and your family's lives and the people around you significantly if you trust Jesus in it, okay? But you're not going to trust Jesus if you don't know what he's talking about. So let's pray. Lord, Thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness to us. And I pray that right now you would extend even more grace, even more kindness to us as a group of people meeting in a gymnasium that we would have ears to hear, we have eyes to see what is your will in our life, what your goal, what your plan is for us. And I praise that uh, as we listen to it, you would transform the inner man, the inner woman in us to be conformed to your image and that we would be cities on a hill. Not some Sunday service, but men and women in the streets, in our neighborhoods, living for the kingdom of God, citizens of heaven. And for that in Christ's name, amen. Well, hey, a couple of things. I, want to, I just want to piggyback on Zach's extremely long announcements real quick um, by saying, uh, hey, I want, ladies, I want you to know there's 75 women already signed up for this event. That's why I was saying that. You're not going to be the only one there. It's not you and 25 people staring at each other. But there's already 75 women showing up because they want to learn how to study their Bible. And so this event, is if you've ever had questions about like, man, how do I study my Bible? Where do I begin? What do I do? Which is like, raise your hand if you ever had that question. Me, all the time. Um, Then this is an event to come to. And the friend uh, who's coming up to teach at this is a really good friend of mine. She knows her Bible, knows how to study it. It's going to be a great time. And he threw in there that Jake is cooking because Jake's a great cook. So if you don't even care about the Bible and you just want to eat good food, come on. And we'll still talk to you about the Bible. So... All right, well, uh, we're talking about being a city on a hill. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start there um, because right there is where we get this idea of a city on a hill. And so I want to I reread this from last week because I want to remind us of what Jesus, where, where we're getting the foundation for what we're going to talk about today, talk about next. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5 at verse 14. These are Jesus' words. It's the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous sermon in all of history. He says, you, speaking to the people, are a light of the, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." We sent that we posted this. We want everybody at Now Post to memorize 516, which just says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. And they see you and they go, oh, man, this is a city on a hill. This is a light. I've been running and stumbling in the darkness. But the way that you guys live is different. Now, some of you are going, man, man, I don't want them looking at me, all right, because I, I stumble a lot. But the reality about believers is none of us are perfect, okay? This room is not filled with perfect people. But we do have a perfect Savior, and we do have a perfect mission. And that mission is to be cities on a hill, to bear witness to the great light, who is Jesus. It's not that we want to go, like, leave here and go, hey, go out there and show everyone how cool you are and how good you are. Hey, everyone, look how good I am. That's not going to go very well, okay? My neighbor's going to be like, oh, my gosh, i am never opened the door to that guy again. Um, it's even in our failing, even when we mess up, we still reveal the goodness of God in the way that we handle our mess-ups because you're going to mess up. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how we resolve conflict, how we deal with our stuff when bad things happen. Does anybody in this room have conflict with anybody ever, ever in your life? Have you had conflict? That's everybody. Anybody still got some conflict? Okay. You're being honest. Cool. This is just for you. All right. I'm talking to you now. The rest of you who have no conflict and you're just the nicest people in the whole world. Um, this is for your future. Okay. Here's the thing. Jesus makes it clear in the Sermon on the Mount that how he wants us to interact with our friends, with our enemies, and even our frenemies. He says, and some of you have heard this before. It says this in Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Have you ever heard that? Anybody here heard that? Even when you didn't go to church and you weren't a believer, you probably heard that, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Have you heard that? Turn the other cheek. I mean, non-believers have heard this. They don't, you don't have to go to church to ever hear. Turn the other cheek, right? We've heard that before. If you go to Matthew 5, 43, 43, Jesus tells us a little more. How does he feel about the way that we treat our enemies and treat these people who have hurt us and done things against us? He says this. You've heard that it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever lived that way? I'm gonna love my friends, but man, my enemies, uh-uh. You gotta give them some payback. But I say to you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you, is what Jesus says. So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You may be sons of your Father in heaven. No doubt you guys have heard these passages. And so I say that and remind you of that because the issue with our conflict and resolving our conflict and walking the way that Jesus wants us to walk, the issue is not an intellectual issue. The problem is a heart issue. Because we know that God has told us to resolve our conflict, to love our, not just our friends, but even our enemies. We know that. But yet, every one of us in the room, we don't do that. And we don't want to do that. Because in our heart, we want to serve up some justice. We want to give some payback. So here's what I want to talk about today. I'm not going to give you all the tips and tricks on how to resolve conflict. Today's not going to be as practical as it is going to be about your heart. You will never do anything that I'm going to ask you to do and the Word's going to show you to do unless you have a really good reason why you should do it. And so today as we talk about resolving conflict, I want to talk about why. Why do we resolve conflict? And you know what? It's going to be just as simple as our message last week was about love. Why do we love others? Because who has loved us? Because God's loved us. And because God has loved us, we ought to love other people Today we're going to talk about why do we reconcile and deal with the conflict between us and our friends and our family and our enemies. Why do we do it? Because God has reconciled with us. That's going to be our why and we're going to talk about that. So I want you now to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is where we're going to be today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can flip your finger. You can go and scroll on your phone, wherever you're doing. But I want you to be there because I want you to see this in God's word. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at three things that being in Jesus, if you're a believer in this room, this is the gathering of the church. Many of you are believers, some of you are not. You're spectators on the church. And I want you to pay attention to what we, the church, are called to be and hold us accountable to that. Um, But, church, I want you to see this. And the three things we want to see is that in Jesus, we have a new regard for others. Okay? It's the first thing we want to look at. In Jesus, we have a new regard, a new outlook on human beings. Verse 16, it says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. might be familiar to some of you guys. He says this, From now on, therefore, uh, we have uh, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? Well, it means this. If you go back up to 14 and 15, he says that we who are in Jesus, um, who've trusted Jesus, it says we are controlled by the love of Jesus. Like we talked about last week. Jesus' love controls the way we live. It's like if you're a gamer, right? It's like having that remote control in your hand. He is the one who controls us now. And it says love is the thing that's dictating the way. And right there in, in 15, in verse 15, He says, so we live for Jesus. We live for him. Here's what you need to understand, okay? You're going to live in your life or you're going to operate in this world uh, in a way that suits what you live for. That's reflective of what you live for, all right? So if you live for yourself, everything in the world is going to be a means to your end. Am I right? So what happens with the relationships you have in your life, the people in our lives, we treat them as means to our end. Either they're advantages to our life or they're obstacles that are in our way. Am I right? Because we're living for me, or oh my. I want to talk about me, I want to talk about my, I want to talk about, I'm not going to keep going. Some of you know it, and it's just reflecting on the old man in me. Um, but we treat people that way. So what you live for, it's going to be reflected in how you treat other people. And so what do we typically do? He says, we don't, ha- we, we don't regard people according to the flesh anymore. Well, how do we regard people according to the flesh? Well, i got a bar up here. Some of you can see it, some of you can't. i got a bar and some weight. So what we do is we treat people kind of like this bar, all right? Kind of like this bar. And if they've done something to us, right, maybe they lied to us, and we mm-hmm. say, oh, well, they're just a liar, okay? And so we put some weight on them. Yeah, they're just a liar. That's just who they are. You can't trust them. What are we doing? We're acting like a judge. Or, you know what? She's just a cheater. She cheated on me. That's who she is. That's just who she's going to be for the rest of her life. Don't trust that girl. She's a cheater. Okay? Or, man, that guy's just lazy. He never shows up to work on time. He's just a lazy sack. Never hire that guy. In fact, I, I don't even know why his mom loves him, you know? And so we just, we put some more weight on that guy, Okay? Or, you know what, that guy, he's just, man, he's just, just cussing up a storm, or he's a drug addict, or he's whatever the case may be, and so we just put some more weight. And what we do is we constantly cast these judgments on these people, and we say, this is who you are, okay, and I don't have to reconcile with you. I'm not going to have to deal with stuff, because that's just who you are. Anybody ever have that happen? Maybe that you're living in that right now. And we lay up this weight on these people, and it's a weight they can't bear. It's a weight they can't bear. It's a weight that you've put on them because you're the judge of the world because everything in the world is about you. And so however they can serve you signifies their importance. And so why do we not reconcile? Because we regard people according to their flesh, what they've done. And this is who they are. And so we treat them that way. So we don't deal with our stuff and Cody. Instead, we go and gossip about it. You see, how, see, see the way she lives? See that? He's just that kind of guy. Just wait. He'll do it again. He'll see it. Right? She's just that kind of person, you know? Man, you should see what he was like. He acts like a Christian here, but when he was in Afghanistan, he didn't live like a Christian. That's just who he is. It's a matter time before it comes out. He's just an alcoholic. And so we, we constantly regard people according to the flesh. We see them by their actions. And Paul's telling us here, we don't do that anymore. We don't do this anymore. Why don't we do this anymore? And he says, it makes it really clear, because we don't regard Jesus that way anymore. You see, the way you view Jesus will change the way you view others. And so what's happened? Well, he says, what does he look what he says. He says, look, we, we used to regard Jesus according to flesh. I mean, that was me, right? All of you guys. There was a point in our life where we saw Jesus as just another man. All right. We saw him just another man. Well, maybe he didn't have a lot of weight on his bar, but he's just another dude. Maybe a really good dude, taught some really cool stuff, uh, kind of helpful, you know, turn that other cheek, you know, that kind of stuff. But he was just another man. But then something happened in our life that changed everything. And what happened in our life is that eventually we began to see the weight on this bar, it's our bar, and it's our weight. We began to see, whereas we used to look at everybody and we just put on the weight on them, it's their fault, they're this person, this is what they've done, something began to change, and it's when we began to see that we have weight on our own bar, and all of that weight is due to very real sin in our own lives, right? When finally you realize, man, that porn addiction, it's wrong, it's not good. When you've been realizing that you've been treating people like a judge and you've been holding them to a standard that you're not willing to keep yourself, you're doing that, all right? Or maybe you're not willing to forgive your mom for what she did to you, right? And you're just going to hold that unforgiveness over her, going to remind her every Thanksgiving, you guys get together, okay? Or you're going to look and you're like, man, the church is just these kind of people. In fact, I'm just going to mock them and ridicule them. That's just who they are. And so we've been doing these things and we've added up this weight that we cannot carry and we cannot bear. And now some of these young bucks are like, oh, I could pick that up. But you cannot walk with it. The reality is the weight of your sin you cannot bear. No man can bear that sin. No man can bear that weight. And then God revealed to us that Jesus was not just a man. He was God in skin. And so Jesus came to the earth and his bar had no weight on it. A sinless, perfect Man, And he came to put the weight on his shoulders of your sin and my sin. And we began to realize that. And he took on that weight and he took care of it for us. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is light. My my burden is easy. Why? Because he says this, look, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you have been placed inside of Christ, the strongest God-man in the cosmos. And you're in him and he carries the weight for you and you enjoy the benefits of what it's like to be in Jesus. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. You should say hallelujah again. It's passed away. What does that mean? That means the weight and the consequences of your sin which you could not bear, Jesus handled it, got rid of it, it is gone. So the dead man that you were, nailed to a cross, who was carrying a weight you could not bear, He's dead and gone. He's passed away. But he also says basically this, that the dead ways that we lived have passed away and the new has come. What are the dead ways that we do? It's everything I've been talking about. Well, they deserve this and they deserve that. But we began to realize, what would happen if you got what you deserved? You know what bugs me? When I talk to nonbelievers, you're like, well, you know, they deserve this. I mean, you are the most judged. You think Christians are judgmental. You're crazy. I, if I got what I deserved... I'd be in big trouble. The Bible's pretty clear that all of us are sinners. And the Bible's also really clear that the, the income that you earn from your sin is death. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a, they ran a stat on this. There is a 100% chance that you're going to die. And you believe it, right? Because there is no stat, and it's just the truth. You're going to die, and then you're dying because of the consequence of sin. Sin in this world, but Jesus died so that we might be free. And he did it because of the grace. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Some of you have memorized this. What does it say? Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because we're in Christ. And because of that, when you really, guys, have you really let that sit in you? When you really let that sink in, you'll stop staring at your own navel. You'll look up and you go, oh, these aren't just obstacles in my way. These are not just enemies. These are not just friends. These are opportunities for God. For God to rescue and redeem and change. Listen to me. God wants to save your worst enemy. That man who raped you, God wants to save him. The man that hurt you, God wants to save him. The friend who cheated you out of the business, God wants to save him. And we have a new regard for those people, and we've all got those people because we've got a new regard for how God sees us, and we got a new regard for Jesus. So the first thing is this, in Jesus, we have a new regard for others, okay? But it's not just that we have a new regard for others. In Jesus, we have a new relationship with God. Let's talk about that. Let's go to the next verse. It says this, verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he says all this is from God. In other words, God is the source. You're not the source, not your leg strength, not your ability to do good things. God is the source. And then it says that Jesus is the means so God's the source. Jesus the means. What's the result? Reconciliation. Reconciliation is the result of what God has done because he loves us to save us. Now, what is reconciliation? Well, the Bible uses several words to describe salvation to us, okay? It uses one word called justification. Uh, it means not guilty, and it refers to a courtroom. We see the word adoption, which of course refers to the family. We see atonement, which refers to the altar. We see sanctify, which uh, refers to the uh, the temple. But then we also get this word reconciliation, and this uh, refers to friendship. So, what is reconciliation? Let me define it for you. It's to cause to coexist in harmony, to make or to show to be compatible. That's what it means, to coexist in harmony, that they can be together and it is good, it is beautiful, and it's a wonderful relationship. And so in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In other words, he's getting the world. It's not everybody. It's everybody who believes and trusts in Jesus. He's saying that you have been restored to a harmonious, compatible relationship with God. Now, that shouldn't be possible. You know why? Because you and God could not be more incompatible as you stand right now. And the reason, main reason is, is because God is holy and you are not. Now, what does that mean? I think the best way to describe this is God is like the sun and you're like an astronaut trying to get to him. Okay? I was going to have like this little stand with a doll that was like uh, screwed down to like a thing and I was going to hit it with a blowtorch, which is super graphic. But then I remind, which I'm not scared of being graphic in front of you, but the, the thing is, like, I was told we're not allowed to start fires in this building. So um, well, I looked up how much, uh, how, what's the temperature of a torch? And I tell you, a torch in plastic one's going to lose, okay, and it's not the torch. A torch, the temperature of a torch is 2,600 degrees. The sun is 10,000 degrees on the surface. If you right now do the best you can, you get Elon Musk on your side, y'all try to design the best spaceship you could possibly think of to go to the sun. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You will not make it. You and the sun, to put it very simply, are incompatible. But if you are placed in Jesus... Jesus is that vessel that is able to take you to the sun, to take you to God. That's what it means to be in Jesus. And so we're made compatible, harmoniously compatible with God, to be in his presence. You know, the best, the, here's the thing you need to hear about this. The best thing, the thing you need more than anything in the whole world is God himself. You're incompatible because of your sin, but because of Jesus, you're going to begin to see that God is exactly what you were designed for because he designed you. Guys, the best thing in the whole world is God for you. The second thing you're gonna see when you really begin to realize that God is reconciled with you, you're also gonna realize <clears throat> that there, uh, there's no more condemnation for your sin. Do you understand? God is purely holy, and he sees you as purely holy because you're in Jesus. Your sin is gone. You do not have to be in guilt or in shame because of your sin, because Jesus took all the weight it's completely gone. Romans 8.1. If you have not memorized this, I've now up to 16 verses I've given you in the new year that you need to memorize. And this is probably the top of the list. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God for that. I don't have to live under my sin anymore. Why not? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That law and sin, all those rules that you couldn't obey, all the things you couldn't do, all the things that mounted up to weight. What does Romans tell us? For God has done with the law, weakened by your flesh, which your legs couldn't carry, he did. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? So In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you. So you walk around inside of Jesus, cloaked and covered with him, filled with the Spirit, and you go, no condemnation for you. You are free. You are reconciled. You have a perfect, harmonious relationship with God. That's what you have. Isn't that good? If you're a non-believer in this room, I'm telling you right now, you can have it too. Your sin is no worse than mine or to others. It condemns you to the same consequence, which uh, which is death and hell. But Jesus took the eternal, white, hot wrath of God upon himself to set you free. And believers in the room, man, you should be rejoicing and dancing, thinking about that, how wonderful that is. And when you begin to think about that, you'll see that in Jesus, you have a new regard for others. In Jesus, you have a new relationship with God. And lastly, you should be going, man, in Jesus, I have a new purpose for my life. And what's that purpose? The purpose is the ministry and the message of reconciliation. You should be like, when you see your brothers walking around with that weight on their shoulders, you'll be like, hey, I'd love to talk to you about that. That weight you carry, that shame you're walking with—I see you hunched over. I see those tears in your eyes. I would like to talk to you about something. That's the ministry of reconciliation. What does uh, Jesus, or what does Paul tell us? Look at verse 20. I love this description. It's super dope. So what he says? Therefore, in light of everything you just heard, guys, this is for you. In light of everything you just heard about your relationship with God and what God has done, therefore. We are ambassadors of Christ Jesus. God making his appeal through us. I love that. I love that. That's why we we were going to name Outpost Embassy Community Church, but it sounds too much like a hotel. Okay? So we became Outpost. We became Outpost Community Church. And Outpost, we are ambassadors of Christ. We're here. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is an accredited diplomat who is sent from a country, all right, as its official representative to a foreign country. It's a person who acts as a representative or promoter of a specific activity. Now you see what I mean by dope. You, as a believer in Jesus, are sent by God to this foreign land that we call Cody to be a representative of God with all the authority that he sends, sends to you, and now you are now a minister of a specific activity? What's that activity? Starts with an R, runs with econciled. Reconciliation. Reconciled. Guys, that's our ministry. The ministry and the message of reconciliation of what God has done. And we're ambassadors of it. You're an official ambassador. You're like, well, I'm not a very good one. And listen, the time for self-doubt and self-deprecation is over. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get your eyes off your navel and start looking into the eyes of Christ. He loves you. We proved that last week. He's here to set you free. I believe in Cody. Um, <laughs> this is one of the greatest things we can ever do to be a city on a hill. you got to know that Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 18 through 19, tells us that you have a new citizenship. You think American citizenship is a good deal. Listen to this. It says, for through him, through Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father, right? That's you got this access. You're in Jesus So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You got a new citizenship. You got a new purpose. You're an ambassador of a better kingdom than America. One that brings hope and healing, right? A refuge and renewal to people's lives and people's marriages. Now, like I said, I really believe that this is one of the greatest ways to be uh, a city on a hill because, listen, as citizens of Jesus, I want to implore you. Like, G- like Paul says here, right, he says God's making his appeal through us. An appeal is this just passionate, uh, really important, um, I would say almost like a begging of you to believe and understand. And I want to tell you, Cody people, Cody members, if you're the church, I want to tell you, I beg you, be reconciled to one another. Be reconciled with one another. Do you have some conflict with some people in this room? You need to deal with it. Do you have some conflict in your home? Be reconciled with one another. Got some conflict in your family? You stay in the family, friends, old things, things you've done way back in your past? Have you reconciled them? Reconciles to make it right, to, to uh, make things right is what we tell our kids. Now, here's the thing that a lot of excuses come along, right? Either you're still regarding them according to the flesh, you'd be like, hold on a second. All right, hold on a second. This is a a small town, Greg. Work gets out fast. We can't talk about this stuff. can't go deal with this stuff. If I go admit it, it might ruin my reputation. Or you go, man, you know, what if they won't forgive me? Or, uh, you know, what if I can't forgive them? I mean, you don't even know what they've done to me, Greg. I, I don't know that I can do it. Well, let me tackle all kind of four of these questions that I usually hear. Number one, people in this room going, hey, it's a small town. I'm like, yeah, but you've got a big God. And this is a big opportunity. This whole s- small town uh, crap that you guys keep using, that's an excuse. People in big towns, are, they're going, well, you know, I still can't do it either. It's, the, the biggest problem is your small view of God. You got a big God. Do you trust him? Be reconciled with one another. Well, you say, well, what if, I, what if they don't forgive me? Well, here's another definition for reconciliation that I didn't read to you. It says this. Uh, reconciliation is to make... One account consistent with another, especially by allowing for transactions begun but not yet committed. All right, listen to this. Begun but not yet committed. Romans 12 says, "...as much as is dependent on you, be at peace with one another." if you're a believer in Jesus, if there's conflict that you have, guess what? You get to begin the reconciliation process and their reaction to your beginning it is on them, not on you. You are seeking to be faithful to your Lord and Savior to build the bridge. They need to decide whether or not they'll take the step of faith to meet you. Is that not what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago? How many of your sins did Jesus die for before you were born? All of them, right? All of them. He built, how many billions of people on this planet there's a bridge already built to them but they just won't take that one step of faith to lay their whole life in his hands guys you're just like Jesus, take the step they may not forgive you but it's not about that, it's about being faithful to be a reconciling citizen ambassador of Jesus well what if I can't forgive them Greg you don't even, if I told you the story you go man yeah, you shouldn't forgive them. No. Here's what i tell you. If you can't forgive them, the simple answer is this. You're not a believer. Or at least you're a rebellious one. You hear me? That's, it's that simple. Either you're not a believer or you're in rebellion against God. This is Jesus' words. not Greg's. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Listen to me. I'm not going to minimize what they've done to you and say that it's not significant, and you should just willy-nilly go over there and extend them forgiveness. But forgiveness is more for you than it is for the other person. And to hold on to unforgiveness is like going to, the rats, or going to a store to buy rat poison, coming home and eating the rat poison, hoping that it will kill the rats. It's just eating you up and killing you. It's not about whether it deserve it. If you get what you deserve, are you going to be able to stand under the weight of all your sin? Let I me mean, think about that, guys. It's a process. It takes time to get there. Jesus can help you get there, but the reality is the way of a follower of Christ is the way of forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, uh, there's a lot of practical steps we could give you. We can go to Matthew 18 and talk about how do we resolve conflict, what happens when you walk into it. You, you know, you don't gossip, you go. You go to them one-on-one, have a conversation. If they don't want to repent, they don't want to change their mind on this thing and they're still stuck in it, bring one or two other people who uh, could be a part of the situation who will help the situation. Uh, and if that still doesn't work, then you're going to take it um, to, to the church and the church is going to gather together around them. We're going we're to love them, encourage them. We don't mean that we're going to bring them up here on stage in front of everybody, but it's in a matter we're going to we're going we're gonna, to uh, beg them to turn from their sin and to repent and to come to Christ and experience his grace and forgiveness. And if they don't, then we're going to say, hey, you know, we're going to remove you from uh, being a member here at Outpost. Those are the steps, right, that we see in Matthew 18. Also, we've got a conflict field guide out there. I tell you what, it is worth a hundred times the paper it's uh, printed on. That conflict field guide is out there next to the coffee. You should take it. Every single one of you should have one of these in your community group or in your home. It is an absolute wonderful God. But I am not here to this morning just wanting to give you a bunch of tips and tricks. I want you to see the, God, the length that God has went to to reconcile with you and ask you to take some time to consider are you willing to follow in the steps of your Lord and Savior Jesus who is a reconciler to reconcile the relationships you have with others. If you, and then listen, this is why it's a city on a hill. How can you go to people and tell them to be reconciled with God when you won't go and reconcile with others. You won't forgive them. You're just like the unforgiving servant that Jesus talks about in his parable who's been forgiven for billions of dollars and you're beating your friend up over a 100. You should extend forgiveness. Guys, it's up to you to do it. I can't make you do it, but I, I want you to consider that. But here's the thing. If you're in this room and you're still going, you know what, I still can't do it. I still cannot do that. And I don't, you know, is that really what believers do? Let me show you a believer in Jesus on this video. Um, and Tony, you can turn the lights off in a second. I want you to watch what a believer in Christ who trusts in Jesus can really do when they look to Christ. Watch this video.
1: It will be a day I never forget. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with not that I didn't think there should be justice served but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus their actions being a reflection of that I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me but as it's happened to my own father I think I still feel the same there has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion, and part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father, but I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live, but when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with a man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. It will be a day I never forget. I remember having
0: Hey, guys, one final word. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him you could be the righteous of God. My prayer, friends, if you're a believer in Jesus, you'd have the courage to trust Jesus like this young lady does. Let's pray. God, you know my own heart, and I confess that I am an unforgiving man I could be harsh and unkind but God you were absolutely kind to me. You weren't harsh. You're like a shepherd who is tender like a father who opens his arms to wretched men like me, like wretched women like the women in this room. You've loved us in our sin and we are far worse than the murderous men in this country. Our sin results in the same consequence. We were under a death sentence. Because of your great love for us, though, you sent your son to die in our place, to take the lethal injection of the cross that we might live. And I pray we would stop living like impotent believers, resolved to live in the way of the world but call in the name of Jesus. But Jesus, that we would pick up our cross daily we forgive and love and be ministers of the great, wonderful message of reconciliation. And I pray that in Jesus' name.